Anticipated the beat a little bit there. Uh, yeah, that's fine. We're all good. That's fine. I, I'll just seem slightly smarter because my my punchlines will come in like a half second early. This is this this is Alice Caldwell Kelly's like one trick for podcasting success. Yeah, yeah. I'm like is, min maxing the podcast. You know. Well, well. Hello, everybody. It's time for TF. Uh, mm. It is the first episode we are recording of 2024. Uh, yeah. Is it is it a free or a bonus episode? This one. It is a free one. It's it the free one. It's the free one. And because Alice is saying that, Milo is not here. And also Hussein is not here. That's right. It's just Riley and Alice. Real skeleton crew hours. Uh, yes, that's right. And uh, joining us is our the man who has become our Middle East correspondent. It is Seamus Malakavsali. Seamus, how's it going? It's, it's good to be on Trash Future for, I, I think, the 17th time. Uh, in mm-hmm. my yeah, just certainly make it feel that way, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we you know welcome you back as now I think a sort of platinum Onyx Club member. Uh, you're entitled to three free well drinks uh, in in the lounge. Um, and Pretty good. Yeah, no, always always a delight to to have you on uh, to talk about some of the problems. Yes, uh, as always, I think it's very good to be on a program that keeps updates for Neom when I have uh, entirely checked that for my own sanity. This is the thing, right? We just do this, we just find guests, and we devise, like like the guy from the Saw movies, the perfect sort of torture for them psychologically. And then we just lock them into that forever. Poor Nish Kumar is stuck with like us reading politicians' books, and then we've selected Neom for you. No, the the new name is- for the, uh, the newest shape that they're building in Neom is buried behind my left eye. And the only way I'm going <laughs> to know about it is if I, I, I stab my own eye <laughs> and get it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, MBS was doing saw stuff to Jamal Khashoggi, so it fits, right? Sure. <laughs> you have always valued innovation and disruption about your own family. <laughs> In many ways, reading your columns was like having all of your limbs bone sawed off. <laughs> would, would you turn yourself into a line? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have the flu, so I'm delirious. Uh, no, yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I'm, this is my first of three podcasts today. I look forward to my complete mental disintegration. I think we've only picked three people that we routinely subject to the strangest stuff in the world. That's Nish, mm. that's Seamus, and then Maddie for Eric Adams. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, look. look anyway. sort of chosen victims. Yeah. Um, why don't we, because we're already talking about it, let's let's start with, with, with some Neom stuff, because... Mm, get the vegetables out of the way first. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. The vegetables of Neom. Because <laughs> um, we've, you might be thinking, hey, you've been talking about Neom an awful lot recently, and yes, Will's- we're both subscribed to the YouTube channel for sort of masochistic work reasons, and so both of us get an alert on our phones whenever they release a new trailer, which they've been doing every few days now. Yeah. And we would be saving this for later, except Seamus is on, so we gotta do it. Um, we, we have the... Um, and I, I don't know if you can believe this, but they have created another luxury lifestyle destination. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it's Eon. crazy. You guys are, are, are fucking lying to me. Uh, <laughs> obsequious <laughs> bullshit. But all right, fine, man. You, you, you can tell me about this. I'm not going to believe it. Though. Yeah. So I was really excited when they released uh, their their new plans for like Topian, which was how they're going to mm. reinvent dinner uh, for Neon. It's called Topian? <laughs> Yeah, Topian, the, the the food zone, the eating zone, the, the you know the meal district. Topian. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty boss. But then the problem is, they went from that, which I was like, okay, great, you've got the the zing and the energy of the line back. Okay, we're we're we got the cube, we got the we have all this exciting stuff. We're mm. no longer just making different shapes of hotel. We're back in business, making cool things. But now sure. they've come back out. They're like, hey. It's we've just released another luxury lifestyle community that's even more like a normal American gated community than anything else we've come out with so far. I mean, this um, is this is sort of a grim development, right? Because the more like a subdivision it is, the more likely it is to actually get built. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And if 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 Neom turns out to be a bunch of like places that could as well be in Scottsdale and like a meter of line at the center of it, that's just sort of the perfect. Ending, you you also have to remember that um, as of a couple months ago, Saudi Arabia has the World Cup. In 2034, oh, they yeah. will host the World Cup, and they also are hosting the Asian Winter Games. So the line itself, obviously, that that's never getting made in the full capacity that it was envisioned as. Neom, obviously, not the full capacity, but it's, it's envisioned as. But you, yeah, you can absolutely build hotels. You can absolutely build little gated communities, little resorts. You know, buried up in these mountains, they know that. And if the more space you have to host people, um, the more tourists you can have in. I mean, this is what Qatar did in 2022. Mm. They literally built an entirely new city called Lusale. They built tons of hotels, uh, and uh, which also led and they, and they needed so much space that they were kicking out expats. Landlords were kicking out expats by raising their rent by thousands mm. of dollars because they needed that much space. So yeah, no, 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 no. Like yeah, they. This is something that they can build. This is something that they can build soon, and they know that there are enough rich people who will absolutely want to vacation in mm. in in glorious uh, northwestern Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and I mean, aside from that, the rich people on the other end of this are, are like all of the architecture firms who are competing for Neom stuff, who haven't been able to get the like big ticket. Uh, like we are going to build you the line, we are going to build you the octagon. Um, can now compete on. We are going to build you the best, weirdest subdivision in the world. Oh, and don't get me wrong, Norlana, the newest one, is also weird and impossible. It sounds okay. like the name of a woman who has a column in Tatler. Okay, I mean, I saw, I, I, I saw news of it, but I. I I didn't see any other vague details other than, yeah, that it was a bunch of hotels and it was a bunch of resorts. So what, what's impossible about it? Okay, so, so the basic premise of it is, uh, it's the, this is from its um, uh, uh, the, like brief. So the heart mm. of the Norlana community, so it's a community of single-family homes, even less ambitious <laughs> than like the sort of giant hotel arcologies. Uh, says the heart of the Norlana community will be a spectacular waterfront promenade and open spaces designed to foster human connection. That's the first sentence. Okay. Here's the second sentence. Super yachts can sail into the marina and people will be able to enjoy first-rate fine dining and shopping. <laughs> okay, great. So it's, it's, it's like The Simpsons House mm -hmm. times 500, but backing directly onto like uh, the marina in Monte Carlo. 
Correct, but The Simpsons, here's what makes it impossible, which is uh-huh. that The Simpsons House, imagine The Simpsons House, right? Sure, yeah, but, rotating in my mind. But cantilevered out over the water. No, fuck off. I, I, <laughs> I don't, oh, hold on, I'm looking up a photo, I'm looking up a photo of, of this as soon as Wait, I so can. they're, they're going to have, like, stilted houses, like in a mangrove swamp or something? No, um, the idea is that the all of the houses are supposed to look like they're part of the mountain. Oh, okay. what oh, fucking Bond villain shit. Ah, okay. okay. And and then you, you, you like step off your super yacht directly into your uh, mountain fortress. Yes, more or less. <laughs> this um, looks like a pixelated Skyrim village. This is... <laughs> this looks so <laughs> ugly. We've built Desert Morthor. There's like nothing to yeah. do. Uh, it's just like, yeah. No, no, like, yeah, like there's a buildings that looks sort of, I mean, it doesn't look like a mountain, but yeah, you see these sort of tessellated buildings around here in Beirut a couple times, but it, it works because it's so like out of place with the rest of the city's architecture. It does not work when the entire thing looks like that. It just looks odd, but mm, yeah, you know. Just like plain backdrop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically a sentence of exclamation points, and I and it's let me tell you a little more about the amenities that are again designed to foster human connection. Number one, number one amenity: equestrian and polo estate. <laughs> Ride your horse off the super yacht. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Into the Simpsons house, which is cantilevered mm. over the marina, next to 120 other Simpsons houses, also cantilevered over the marina. I, I, yes. I just want to pause at this point to go back to all of the neon marketing material, which they're really hyping up now. They're really pushing the like, um, you know, what is neon thing. They're doing promoted ads on on Tumblr of all things, which is the funniest group of people you could get to move to Saudi Arabia. Like what we're um, gonna get? Oh, look, they need furries. You know, they say, uh, oh, we want, true. we want the future of innovation at Neop. You will need furries. <laughs> that's true. But, but the thing is, right, if, if you go back to that level of abstraction and that level of hype, the stuff that they talk about, even still, is like, this is going to change our ways of living. This is going to be the blueprint for, like, the city of the 21st century. Um, you know, everybody is going to act and think differently about their own cities because of what we're doing in the test bed here at Neom. And what the test bed turns out to be is, uh, like, you jumping a horse off a super yacht into a pool. That's cool. Well, they get, this is, I, every time I think about Neom, this I'm like always like- a joke I would make about if the Saudis tried to design a luxury suburb. Like- <laughs> Yeah, so this is, that's because, right, that's why I think Neom is so interesting and why we keep coming back to it and talking about it. It's hmm. because, like so many things, it's interesting to see what the global, like the 0.000001% imagine is desirable living. Because mm. it always ends up being different kinds of airport lounge, just multiplied by between a thousand and a billion. I get, I get frustrated. I mean, this is a larger philosophical thing. But I, I get frustrated by how the super rich like no longer have a reputation for being sort of like um, I don't know I don't know very concerned with the min- the minutia of of art mm. and architecture and trying to see yeah. culture. It's it's it, they have less culture and less uh, uh, want to like live deliciously in the way that uh, you know generations of old would like to. They have to like this yeah. is like I, I said that I literally just said this. This is obscenely ugly. I wish listeners at home like look this up on Google while you're listening to this. Why would you live there? 
why would you want to? Yeah, you can abs- you can sort of think about AI in the same way that all these guys love both the kind of like insane rich people minimalism uh, of like having an entirely like white empty house and just handing off little design details or things like that to AI, so like nobody's involved in thinking about them and it's just like thoughtlessly stealing somebody else and perversely, right? I think the last rich guy to care about the fixtures and fittings and making them. Not beautiful, but like he thinks they're beautiful, may be Donald Trump. Because I think Ooh. he's insecure enough yeah. that like and vain enough that he's the only guy who's thinking, I want the like screen on the like uh you know uh, private plane to like have a little Trump logo on it when it boots up kind of thing. Yeah. Or I want this escalator to be made of gold, right? It's tacky as fuck, but he's the only one thinking about these he's things. He's between new money and old money, and he's kind yeah. of yeah, he's, he's trapped in this own kind of Tartarus. No, 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 I think that's a good point. Mm. So the style that we're that you're talking about is is called properly called eco modernism, and anytime any rich weirdo plans an intentional community, they always go for eco modernism, like mm. always. Every, like Prospera was eco modernist. Everything in Neom is eco modernist. Like all of the strange cities that we're talking about in Northern California, those like well, actually that's an exception because that one is designed to be like a based epic walkable trad city. But the, anything that's like the, all the other ones are eco modernist, which is this strange, empty hotel like um, uh, uh, way of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more things, a few more things that the um, Norlana offers. Uh, it offers luxury boutiques and art galleries. Uh, it offers an 18 hole signature golf course in what is supposed to be the most sustainable community in the entire, in all of history. Okay. Um, sure. But I, I, again, though, like that's nothing. Like, in some ways, this is a leveler in that, like, fucking dentists play golf. Like, there comes a certain threshold of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. At which point, things like golf become accessible to you, where there is a decreasing difference between, like, owns five car dealerships and is Mohammed bin Salman. Yep. And that's insane. Well, it's because uh, I think that it's. Is Mohammed bin Salman, I guess, because he can't imagine anything other than just being a bigger version of the guy who owns five car dealerships. Mm. Is he's just like, okay, well, I guess what I'll golf, do is I'll guess. just I'll own hundreds of eighteen hole golf courses. <laughs> I, I also won eighteen thousand golf, uh, eighteen thousand hole golf course. I also say two two things. One is that saying things that have an art gallery is not really like. Um, a bellwether of of community and luxury because anyone who has ever been to like a plethora of art galleries will know that most art galleries are incredibly tacky and they mm-hmm. feature a lot mm. of pop art like in Venice for example there I would walk by constant art galleries quote unquote which were just filled with like portraits of Mickey Mouse in like weird colors or uh, lots of portraits of the Joker Lots of portraits of the Joker. <laughs> Every city I go to, if you look in our gallery, there is a portrait of the Joker somewhere. It's actually quite astounding. Um, the Joaquin that's, Phoenix that's what Joker. this is going to be. Yeah, it's, it, we're going to have a, a bunch of Joker pop art paintings facing out onto the super yachts. Yeah, and and, and also, I, I mean, I hate, I hate to say this because I feel like many at home will disagree with me. Hmm. I wish that there were more projects with like weirder, more niche inspirations like uh the Poundland, that's the name of the store. Poundbury. The thing that oh, King Charles. Yeah, Prince Charles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like like that's it 
it it's made with a certain sort of like mood and time period in mind. Uh, it it it's, has a consistent architectural style. It's identifiable. Um, it looks really uncomfortable to live in, but like at least there's like there's there's a there's a thought process behind there with an ideology that is not just like I love uh, uh, like as you said Riley like, like minimalism and and going into airport lounges. You're in a king's like nightmare of neoclassicism, but at the same That's time, something. yeah, there's a vision. There is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is a vision that. as opposed as opposed to just kind of like nihilism and like architecture firm grifting. Are we basically saying, say what you will about like base trad walkable Poundbury? Mm-hmm. At least it's an ethos. Basically, yeah, yes. Exactly. I, yeah. I mean, like, the, uh, yeah. If, if I was sort of. If the fight of the future is between eco-modernism, where everything looks like, you know, the the house that Kanye West posts from, or, uh, like, the theme parks in China that they made when money wasn't real, where they were just copying and pasting French chateaus in, like, suburb design? Give, give me the second one, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I, I hate both of them, but... I would, I would absolutely live in Chinese Paris. Like, let's be real here. Let's let's not dance around. Yeah, no, hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Anyway, anyway, um, I want to move now. We were going to talk about Neom towards the end, mm. but we did dessert first today. Yeah. Um, because we were already there, and and now I'm going to be thinking about Paris brackets Chinese for the rest of the episode. So thank you for that, Seamus. It was my pleasure. All right. So so, um, last time Seamus we had you on, it was uh just after October seventh, and um. We we spoke about sort of what Israel had been doing in Gaza, and we talked about, I'd say the, I don't, I want to say chaos and short sightedness, just on a strategic level that would lead to a huge amount more suffering in the region and expansion of the conflict, mm. and um, let's say undeterrable maximalism on the part of the Israeli government that the U.S. was willing to, and its U.S. American allies, were all but willing to encourage and tolerate rather than, you know, rein them in. And I would say that a lot of what we talked about is about to happen on that episode has happened. And now that the conflict is spilling over, um, or appears to be at risk of spilling over into sort of into neighboring countries, whether that is through activity in Yemen, through targeted assassinations in Lebanon, or, or in fact, also just bombardment of towns in southern Lebanon a- by attacks Israel. Attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq. I mean, th- this is all stuff that's already happening. And we're going to revisit this partly because we took a decision when that happened. It was like, like we're what we know about is like British mostly uh, media and sort of and the strange people that inhabit mm. it, as well as people like Bill Ackman. Um, and so we're we will talk mostly about domestic. The domestic ramifications of this for now, but we're going back to the actual region for a time. Yeah, so once we have someone who knows what they're talking about, which we now thankfully do. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll start by asking you this question, Seamus. On October 8th, Israel was waging one kind of war. Do you think they're waging a different kind of war now? Um, I think I, that's a very good question. I think so in the sense that the different kind of war, I think, is far more dangerous to Israel's, I don't want to say survival as a nation, because that, I think, buys into the narrative that they're pushing on their own citizens. But I think it's survival in its current state, mm. uh, in the state that it has been commonly understood to exist in for the past 75 or so years. Um, 
what they are risking right now by continuing to push and and massacre into Gaza uh, against right now an active International Court of Justice case against them uh, for violating a genocide convention. Uh, they're pushing forward with that, calling the people who back the case Nazis in South Africa as as uh, in league with Hamas, um, pushing into Lebanon um, into a war that I don't think Israeli generals actually want to. Uh, they they may they they of course would like to defeat Hezbollah, but I think they know that that it's a bad move to make. But they feel like their their hands are being forced by uh, the thousand people who've been displaced. Um, they feel that that conflict is probably inevitable. Um, they they feel that they need to bring in the United States to fight their war uh, in Yemen for them to to bring that war there. Mm. This is not a war that can be fought. This is this is a war that is being forced into a multi front regional war that I am unsure Israeli society is prepared to deal with. Because what is the the general propaganda strategy that Israel has deployed over the past 75 years. It's the idea that Israel is a Western nation, that it is, as Herzl envisioned, a bulwark uh, against um, Arab barbarism, and it is a democratic nation that has a Western standard of living and uh, is a professional fighting force. What we've seen so far is, uh, I believe the numbers are uh, 12,000 uh, IDF soldiers are now disabled. Um, perhaps that number uh, escalates to 20,000 when we talk about people with PTSD. Mm. Um, the IDF military sensor has attempted to cover up how many injuries there are. Um, people coming out talking about how within 12 hours of them entering Gaza, their tanks were blown up and they were maimed. Their limbs had to be amputated. Um, then they have to go into the north and deal with a force that is far more better equipped and trained than Hamas with Hezbollah. This, the fact that they are going to have to deal with the knockdown effects of the Houthi blockade, Hezbollah in the north, Gaza in the south, uh, and potentially whatever else that may come. Mm. And the international is, ramifications of the ICJ stuff too. Exactly. This is going to be the next few years next couple of years, I think, are going to be extremely formative in the sense that the war that is being waged right now is going to create a society that is going to come to an extreme turning point. Mm. And I think it's going to become a nation that is uh, more, quote unquote, uh, liberal in the short term, mm. in that I don't think Netanyahu is going to survive the next election. I don't think the current government is going to survive the next election. They absolutely hate it. But the environment that has been created um, against Palestinians, against Arabs, uh, against Iran, I think it's going to create a chimera of war and want for destruction that is irreparable. Yeah. And it's going to lead to something uh, truly mortifying uh, beyond, I think, uh, what we can comprehend. Mm. I've, I've thought about this too, because... Um as far as the sort of dynamic of the the Israeli left versus the Israeli right, or Israeli liberals versus the Israeli right, um, where for a long time this settlement was, I, I think a lot about the Netanyahu campaign ad, where you know the the Israelis are like on the beach and he's like batting you know threats away and stuff, and it's like this is the deal, right? Is we do the kind of like managed brutality, we do maintenance, we kind of like we mow the lawn. 
and in return you get to sort of like uh you know be on the beach you get to work you know de- developing apps or something and you have this kind of like nice ostensibly progressive in some ways society uh which is like untroubled by these things right um and then that was just like instantly destroyed and i i don't know what's what's downstream of this other than like you replace netanyahu with like some kind of more ostensibly liberal and serious and maybe less personally corrupt guy who is now in charge of a society Benny Gantz. Yeah, exactly. Who is now in charge yeah. of a society which is like a hundred percent committed to uh exterminate the brutes, you know? Yeah. No, like I there was a billboard that just appeared today, just to illustrate that w- what's being discussed here, where it's it's saying that Netanyahu is good for the Arabs. The opposition here is not based on the fact that Netanyahu is waging a war of extermination. The mm. opposition is that Netanyahu has endangered Israelis by taking his eyes off the ball in Gaza. It is always, yeah, the opposition is always in the direction of there needs to be more done against the Palestinians. It's never from the perspective mm. that, almost never from the perspective that it should be uh, uh, that 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 a different strategy of possibly reconciliation or more rights or or negotiation should be should be pursued. I mean, the Israeli left, which Alice had to correct her, herself from saying because yeah, the Israeli left, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's so marginal uh, beyond I think what many people can comprehend, and even within that marginal uh, left. The things that we would traditionally see as left wing in the context of like apartheid South Africa, for example, Mm. in apartheid, there were lots of Afrikaners who were not only working against apartheid, but they were literally with the African National Congress. Um, People like Joe Slovo, that's Mm. a famous example of somebody who uh, was technically a, a, a white settler in South Africa. He was from that sort of lineage. And he was a communist leader. He was a militant leader with the African National Congress with the communists, uh, and he fought apartheid that way. Um, then we contrast that with Israel here. And after three months of genocide, um, the only person, there's only been one person so far who has refused to come up to uh, military service with the IDF. One person. Mm, yeah. And even within that context, the statement that was put out by um, that Refusenik put the equal blame on both Hamas and Israel for the war that is being waged. Mm. Like the I, Israeli left here is kind of it's it's a different ball game than, yeah. than previous conflicts. Yeah. I, I I do want to note one thing that struck me, which is uh, sort of calling Netanyahu like effectively like a an Arab lover, right? Is like. Reminded me of a bit from China Mirville's history of the Russian Revolution, um, where he talks about some some graffiti that's like um, depose the Jew Kerensky and store comrade Trotsky, which is funny because Kerensky isn't Jewish and Trotsky is, um, and it's just like oh okay, with the, these things are now perfectly inverted, where it's like you know, you know Netanyahu's problem is he's too soft, or or by by being hard in the wrong way, he gave. The Arabs, what they wanted, exactly. I, I, mm, that's yeah. what I see as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was he was hard, but not smart about being hard. Mm. So, and and this is also something that I've I've been thinking of. Right, so we talk on the show a lot about political processes being only one way. Right, that ra- that, that things can only ratchet up. We see that in the UK a lot, mm. where like nothing can ever be refunded, but it can always be made more efficient. You know, 
uh, and in in the same way, right? We see the and we talked about this in on our sort of early October episode when we spoke to Seamus last was the history of of the Israeli government, especially in the last couple of decades, has been to um, constantly, especially since 2008, has been constantly to ratchet up tensions and to always escalate with uh, both with neighbors, with Palestinians, because there really is no other logic remaining. Mm. And and with your allies too. I mean, this is this has been the thing with the U.S. time and time and time again. Is uh, the U.S. kind of like sets red lines? You go through the red lines. Uh, they set new red lines, and you kind of go through those until as long as it takes for them to like actually make any substantive threats. And now with Biden in the White House, the man who will say yes to everything, it, it's just kind of things are progressing to this point where. You have Israeli officials talking seriously about this idea of a, a U.S.-led multinational peacekeeping coalition in Gaza under IDF operational control, which is uh, it's lunacy. It's pure lunacy. No, I mean, for, for one thing, for one thing, Alice, I think hmm. you need to stop with the with the fucking lies that you're spouting about <laughs> Biden saying yes to everything. I think you should know hmm. that he had his officials say that there should not be. A forceful displacement from Gaza. Yeah, excuse and I think me. That's right. strong a, a uh, mm-hmm. disagreement um, as anyone has ever given uh, in this entire war. I've sort of like um, undersold his heroism on that one. You're right. Um, yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to put it out for the man. Um, but <laughs> th- this, th- and, and just as well with like the multitude of different plans that have been put forward mm. by Israel for Gaza. None of which seem to be at all um, consistent with one another. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of in awe, and I'm wondering. Like, I feel like there has to be at some point something that would make the United States put its foot down, not out of, I guess, um, love for the Palestinians because I don't think it exists, but like the idea that this is beyond optics even for us, and my belief about what that that point would be um keeps moving Mm, and i don't know what it would be because if if the only thing they seem to be able to muster up is that they would like not there to be a giant city of refugees in the northern sinai for all the gazans to to be even though apparently there was a report of a usaid official in november asking about the viability of it so clearly, they considered this at one point to try and and temper things down. Mm. If that isn't if that isn't like a point in which you would not even consider, then what what would it be? I would like to know. I think that's something that an intrepid journalist should ask them directly. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about other other plans that have that they've had, um, uh, Israeli officials have been reported to hold clandestine talks with Congo. And Rwanda to accept uh, sort of Gazans uh, when, and this is um, uh, Gila Gamliel uh, who said this at the Neset at the end of the war, the Hamas rule will collapse, there'll be no municipal authorities, the civilian population will be entirely dependent on, the, on humanitarian aid, there'll be no work, and 60% of Gaza's agricultural land will become security buffer zones. Um, the Gaza problem is, just, is not just our problem, the world should support humanitarian emigration because it's the only solution I know. <laughs> The, the, I mean, and, and just and just and just uh, to add on to that, 
uh, Congo then denying that they were having talks. Uh, then there were reports that uh, Chad and yeah, and then Rwanda were doing talks, and then Chad and Rwanda all denied it. Nobody wants to be associated mm. with this, which makes me think that Egypt keeps ratcheting up as maybe the um, the eventual choice because maybe they'll just have them flood the border and they'll force it open because I don't think anybody else is going to take this deal. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's going to like potentially collapse the Egyptian government as well. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing is insoluble as it is because the only possible lasting solution, and it, it, in some ways it's kind of already too late, is to cease the invasion and pull back out of Gaza and then negotiate. And that, you know, because the, the Israelis have ruled that out, all we have left are either, you know, sort of dancing around the prospect of kill everyone uh, and then just bulldoze it into the ocean, which I think is the way to interpret all of these like voluntary resettlement schemes, right? Is as sort of like more, as ways of laundering that idea. Right, is to say, well, we've we've been through the Rolodex, right? We've tried all of these different countries. Uh, these are people who no one will take. Therefore, what choice did we have? Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, it's either something that's intended to kind of like run cover for that, or it's just a, a you know a way of running down the clock, of wasting time, of you know saying, well, we, you know, we're thinking about what the plan is for for the day after when there is no plan because there can be no plan, uh, and the plan is just to continue killing. Well, it's a, there. I say there. There is a plan. It's just the plan can never be acknowledged. But mm. well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I I don't know, right? I I think like I sort of change by the day on whether I think that there is like an acknowledged plan anywhere within the Israeli government to uh, like forcibly permanently depopulate Gaza of Palestinians, or whether there is like it's in such chaos and incompetence that it's sort of like lurching towards that accidentally and that's you know i i worry that that's the kind of question that like future historians are going to have to debate about but like uh in terms of the material effect it's exactly the same and it's 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 wild because uh you know a lot of genocides in history that uh you know it's i think it's <sighs> uncommon amongst them that you can so directly and so obviously lay the blame at like one specific dude's like door and joe biden here has like the single most responsibility for for this happening mm. I, I the, the argument that i keep hearing a lot from liberals even still is that you know trump would be would be far worse mm. for the palestinians um and yet I keep reading, I read an article like literally just today from, uh, from the Huffington Post and the line that a U.S. official who spoke anonymously to the Huff Post, the line that he used was the problem is no one can rein in Biden. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the, such an individual thing. And it, it, in some ways it kind of defies a, like a material analysis or whatever, because it's just one guy who I, I don't know, read something that made him like this. Or uh, like is is just sort of like maybe there's remembering the seventies, yeah, remembering yeah, yeah. the seventies, remembering or... what 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 the times before were. Because again, mm. this is the same thing that governs the Israeli feeling of invincibility within its own country. If yeah. you grew up and you were an adult uh, in the seventies, what was Israel to you? You grew up in a country that had beaten back so many different Arab nations, not once but twice. Your country not only occupied the West Bank and Gaza, but parts of Syria, which you would eventually annex. 
You had occupied the Sinai Peninsula. You were building settlements there. You were displacing Bedouins. Your entire life had been governed by this idea that you were the most powerful military in the region, if not on the continent. Your, your soldiers were feared and respected and seen as, as god kings. And this idea that you could do anything wrong is a, a, a fucking shock to your system and is incomprehensible. And Joe Biden, you know, didn't grow up in Israel, at least an Israeli. But when he talks about how if an Israel didn't exist, we would have to create one to pursue our own interests. And he says that blatantly. Mm. Like, he clearly buys into this myth himself. And I don't, and when he talked and he believes Israeli intelligence uh, completely about things like Al Shifa and um, the beheaded babies and the rocket strike that hit Al Ahli Arab Hospital, he has no inclination to entertain uh, any other narrative. Um, and I, I, this is the thing like, okay, Trump obviously is a big fan of Israel, but in practice, in, in practice, I, I, I struggle to see what the difference would be because if Israel is being held back by Biden, what, I, I, I don't understand what, because what are the, what are the definable effects? Hmm. Israel of, of Biden's pressure. Quote well, they, they don't even. This is the other thing. Is the the flip side of that same coin is that he is providing all of this cover for them. He is doing all of this for them, and they can't stand him. They hate him for it because because they <laughs> they the only people who believe that Biden is exercising effective control on Israel or on the IDF are Israelis. No, no. I mean, American li- like like Inamar Ben Vir. I, hmm. I follow him on Telegram, so I, I get alerts in <laughs> yeah. my phone. Right. And I remember seeing one where he was like, you know, America's our best friend, but we are not a star on the American flag. Like we will, we're going to do what we need to do here. Like, yeah, it, it, God, the, 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 the definable effects here that, that Israel is losing its mind over already that it had to do was that it stopped giving vague, vague um, evacuation orders, and it made a grid of evacuation orders that it could define, which changed absolutely nothing. It just meant that there were specific numbers. And then they let in more humanitarian aid into Gaza, but still not nearly enough to prevent the worst famine that is ongoing in human history. And, mm. the, and even then, the humanitarian aid trucks are not really there to feed people. They're doing the absolute bare minimum because that was the quote-unquote agreement that Biden and the Israeli government came to about how they would keep supporting the war. It, it's still in furtherance of continuing to massacre people. It's not an honest attempt to like come to an equilibrium of some kind or to mm. offset effects. The, like, I, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated. Like, I'm, I'm continuous. I, I need to keep myself from from getting frustrated um, mm. because uh, I did this. Um, on Chapo Trap, and, and people said I, I sounded like Jordan Peterson. Um, no, it's fine. But, we, don't, uh, we, we, I, we don't care at all. I mean, this is the thing, though, right? Is the thing that strikes me about Biden. The other thing is the uh, this being a kind of like weird individual uh, sort of like set of prejudices that he has means that he is so far outside the bounds of like the blob, right? Like, so you get this point where. 
you have this kind of these rumblings of like you know CIA associated uh, Congress people um, and like you know retired military and stuff having these kind of quite hesitant statements that's like, well, you know, are we sure this is sustainable? Uh, you have like, you know, allies like France and even to an extent in the UK being like, well, you know, we, we support Israel's right to uh, do all of the horrible things, but like in a slightly more targeted way. Um, and none of it gets through to him at all. You, you also have people from the State Department yeah. like like submitting letters of dissent. I'm, I'm reminded of the episode we did with Joseph. Um, about like the having to be involved in the administration of of empire, but you are a good like Alger Hiss style liberal, and there's no McCarthy to come wash you out of the State Department. Yeah, I, I think this is being absolutely being perceived in the kind of like more lib and even just like more pragmatic bits of the U.S. like government apparatus as like the democratic version of the Muslim ban. Right? Is this is something that's so obviously. Uh, like criminal and and self sabotaging and stupid, um, and you know as with the Muslim ban, the the effect of this kind of like internal dissent and internal protest is going to be next to nothing. So, what 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 I sort of wonder if it's going to happen is uh, Biden out, Trump in, Chris Rufo appointed uh, special <laughs> special investigator who then questions everybody in Congress if they're a closet anti-Semite. Yeah, no, oh, I, God. Oh, no, every, excuse me, everybody in the State yeah. Department who signed these mealy-mouthed uh, letters of protest and then continued doing their jobs anyway, right? Uh, that, that's, oh, that's, that is that is um, sort of, if you like, overstatement for effect, but no, having no. sort of see these kinds of you know, mass moral panics in service of an imperial goal, even if the imperial goal contravenes the sort of ostensible purpose of empire to increase the prestige, power, and security of the United States and its associated interests in the world. I mean, you could see that this is doing the complete opposite of that. We right. talked about like about these. We 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 talk about pariah states like North Korea. Well, we're witnessing the creation of a pariah state right fucking now. Um, but going back to the, um, you know, uh, sort of as you as we say, do, the, the domestic sort of high political response, you know, this is this is self defeating at every at every single level. I mean, this is it's poorly managed empire, right? And yes. which of course offends the people who want a well managed empire. Yes, precisely. And this, I, I, what I want to go back to is something I said earlier, which is the logic of only being able to escalate that results in poorly managed empire. And that creates these kind of, I guess, internal, f internal fractiousness, and you know the, um, the and so they are unable or uh, una both unable and unwilling uh, to do anything well, about it's, it's it. It's also and like you can kind of look at this as the culmination of a long series of failures in the management of empire, right, uh, by American presidents, um, where sort of like both developments in Israel, developments in Gaza. Um, and within the federal government, all kind of conspired to uh, make it so that Israel had a far right government whose like leash could no longer be pulled on meaningfully, right? Um, and you know was then supported by a presidential administration that didn't want to do it anyway. Um, and I, this is going to sound like such an axe to grind, right? But this is true. I swear to God, this is true. A large part of this is directly the fault of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Oh. 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 Please, my God. Please this, speak. This, on this, this, okay. I will get too I, angry. I, oh mm. my God. This. This. The amount of when when she went on 
uh, when, when she started talking again, mm. God knows why about Hamas. And she wrote this op-ed about why Hamas needs to be stopped. And she was talking about uh, Palestinian, I think, like, getting different types of loans. Women, Yeah, yeah, yeah. She worked with, like, now. women getting microloans. And it's it's no, like... Oh, this, my, this, yeah, microloans. And, like, and what this the is, fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is, Wait, this is, she, was, she was Secretary of State as a consolation prize after running one of the most She's racist... She's a loser! Yeah, after She's running one of the most... time loser! Oh, <laughs> one of the God. most racist presidential campaigns in history, losing anyway. And then was entrusted with like the job of managing American diplomatic and foreign policy, and and her sort of party piece for doing that in relation to to Palestine was, why don't we try and rig the elections in <laughs> Gaza to force yeah. Hamas out and like maintain the sort of unitary power under the the PA, uh, which. It did not work, and led to all of the PA's guys in Gaza being killed, and Hamas taking power. Uh, it just, like, because she tried to overturn uh, the election. I, I just, like... No, 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 Hillary, Hillary Clinton, it, 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 it's, it's, she is, I think, the most, like, um, malignant mm. aspect of this lack of understanding of, of the Palestinian existence. Yeah. But it, it's... It's the same bullshit that has permeated the whole view from the West, from Israel, about what the Palestinians are capable of and function as. Like, basic question, and, and you, you guys can say yes or no, depending mm. on what you guys believe. Are the Palestinians human beings? Is it true? <laughs> Just take Do a second to think this? about this. Yes, of course. This but is, like, this I recognize this. This is yeah, a philosophical no, thing. Is, are they human beings who have thoughts and they mm. have feelings and they have the ability to form social groups? Like, let's let's be real here. This is true. Every, like, th mm. this, this is a, this is a basic objective fact. So, if I am to say to you that the Palestinians who have continuously resisted foreign uh, oppression for seventy-five years without stop. When I present the idea to you that we need to overthrow their elected government and install a new one, and we're just going to hope that they're going to like not react, most like even if I love Fatah and I love President Mahmoud Abbas and I think Hamas is the worst thing since sliced bread, a normal person is going to tell you that sounds like a bad idea. Mm. That is going to create an infinite amount of problems, knockdown effects that we are not going to be prepared to deal with. Fata told yet, them this. Burst through and again, and she doesn't because she's incomp she's incompetent and she doesn't know what she's fucking doing. But this and, is the, this is the thing. Like Fata told her this too. Uh, the, yeah. the, the the Palestinian Authority told her this, and they didn't want to do it. Their intelligence services didn't want to do it because they knew it would get a bunch of their guys killed and hand Hamas like even more power in Gaza. Uh, and and she sort of got them to do it anyway, which uh, was the sort of predictable result. The and the, the currently you see kind of reverberations of this of this stupidity right now, and at least one of the plans that Israel is is putting forth that the idea that uh, the people okay, so Israel probably doesn't have the manpower and the mandate to annex Gaza at least at this current juncture. So the plan that they're saying is that uh, prominent families in Gaza, uh, clans, tribes, whatever you want to call them can do the governing for us and conduct civil matters. Even though this was not only a plan that was tried before in the 70s in the West Bank and it didn't work because they were seen as collaborators. Yeah. And not only was this a plan that was put forth on a much larger scale in South Africa with the Bantu stands, um, this was also the reason why Hamas was so popular 
in 2006 was not only because of opposition to Fatah and the elected government, but also because these prominent families had a, a lot of outsized power and Hamas promised to rein them in. Like what they, they keep doing these plans that they've already tried before and failed because they think that, oh, this time, like they'll get it. Like what, what's the, I don't know. I, it's, I wish, I, I don't wish that they were better, but like, I'm wondering why they aren't, they aren't smarter about this. Well, th- yeah. This is the thing. There is no smart plan left. Like there is no smart plan that, that works that doesn't cross some, some like red line of like, this is incompatible with the sort of like broader reason of like what Israel is, what the United States is, uh, and what their policies are going to be. Right. Uh, it, it, like the, for the same reason that the two state solution is dead, right? Because there was no deal that Israel would have agreed to. Um, in the same, you know, by the same token, I mean, even the offers that they've made in the past, they wouldn't agree to now, even if there was anyone on the Palestinian side who would take them. But it's 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 the same thing with uh, with Yemen, right? Uh, where this was sort of like <sighs> the Houthis attacking shipping in the Red Sea was eminently preventable. If this is like to take the kind of like well-managed empire view for a second uh, and be like, this is something that should have been avoided, right? It was very easily avoided by the process of having any kind of overarching strategy, any kind of plan. And the Biden administration doesn't have one. It has a a thing of like lurching from crisis to crisis, and this is the next crisis, right? Uh, And whatever solution, uh, you know, arises to that is going to be something else that's insane and unsustainable, right? Uh, Because the sensible plan there, which is like to give the Houthis what they want, which is to exercise some meaningful control on Israel, is like unacceptable. So all all we can do is this kind of like impossible shit of oh we're gonna do, I guess, missile strikes on people who have been getting bombed by the Saudis for years at this point with the same weapons that we're gonna attack them with and that's gonna do something, maybe. We we can only do what we've been doing but bigger and yes. more. Yeah. 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 Essentially. Uh, and you know this is this is something I wanted. I was thinking about as well when we were talking about like, well, they they want to just do the Bantu stand plan again. That they've tried that has been tried elsewhere and here and never works because it's basically just a corruption lottery for like twenty two families or whatever. Mm. Something we did in Pakistan that still has um, uh, yeah. sort of re- or something that was done in Pakistan that still has reverberations to this day, right? Which is that you what what the the Hillary Clinton style of view. Here is you is that the you you've identified the one institution that's causing all the problems. You change that institution, and then everyone's so distracted by their micro loan business that 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 the the poison is removed. Mm. It's it's, right? it's interesting, by the way. To we were talking about Trump earlier and how Trump wouldn't be any different. And it's it as far as Republicans and Democrats go. In 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 my reading on this, one thing I found is a, a kind of strange fact, which is that. The sort of various Palestinian uh, like PA delegations to the U.S. Um, of negotiators found that the pretty much the only person who took them seriously was, of all people, Condoleezza Rice. So there's this weird space in, or there used to be anyway, in in the Republican Party where it was possible to like think about these things because the control of what. Israel-Palestine policy was going to be on the Democratic Party was like, you know, vice grip tight. Whereas Republicans didn't give a shit, and so therefore, you know, could be a bit more flexible in their own ways. I, um, I disagree. I think hmm. Condoleezza Rice was a great front, was a great friend of the global south, and um, <laughs> you saw this in the 
uh, yeah. beautiful but star-crossed love of her and uh, Muammar Gaddafi. He was. They were going to create a United States of Africa together. <laughs> She would have been his queen, and she was crazier than him. And we're back to the Joker, you know? Lisa! Uh. Lisa! <laughs> so, just to finish off for the last maybe 10 minutes, um, I wanted to discuss how the sort of body politic of the US and UK were absorbing what's going on. Mm. Because, I mean, we've spoken about, I mean, we've been speaking about Bill Ackman for years, um, but he has now become a kind of, we've seen him become a sort of a... A right-wing yeah, minor celebrity. Again, but a bit like Elon Musk, like one of these sort of high-value targets of radicalization. And this is like way downstream culturally um, of, of this, you know? And what has been interesting to me, at least, looking out to the US, is that I, I see now happening, but centered in elite universities rather than in a political party, kind of what happened in 2018 over here. Mm. Um, the I'd say widespread acceptance that there are, is a kind of an actively anti-Semitic undercurrent that is somehow infiltrated some previously respectable pillar of society. Uh, in the UK, obviously, that was the Labour Party, and the US, that is now like um, the woke uh, universities. Uh, you know, the woke universities, and it's it's strange because. Um, you know, both are about you know the a lot the um, sort of opinions, uh, sort of uh, let's say opposition to um, what Israel's doing in Gaza, and yet what's sort of strange is that the the target of the universities, they're actually just you know they're big hedge funds. They're not actually sort of doing anything sort of to um, try to meaningfully uh, oppose what Israel's doing in Gaza. They're not actually particularly left wing. They're just favorite targets. Uh, of conservatives and obsessed over by liberals. Mm. Meanwhile, in the UK, the um, sort of moral panic tends to be more directed at street protests. But in both cases, it's being metabolized as um, this this thing happening um, in the Middle East is being metabolized as there is a clear and present danger to the continuation of um, a safe society here in either the UK or the US. So what I was just going to ask, in fact, both of you is... How do you see these two tendencies as similar or different? Like, do you think I'm I'm off base in seeing like my in comparing what's going on at universities in the U.S. now to what happened here in 2018 yeah, so and 19? I, I think the difference is that like where a different different kind of like uh, different boots, different necks, right? Um, in in the U.K., I think it's very much a hedge against any kind of like mass popular opinion or even like the concept of mass popular protest. Like, uh, we had a, a very large die-in on Westminster Bridge um, yesterday, and Keir Starmer's response to that, being asked about that, was, uh, well, we've had MPs be assassinated before. Which is uh, nonsense, but it's also it also reveals that, like, these are not people to him. Okay, they're not not people in the same way the Palestinians aren't people to him, but they're not people, uh, and the people are, you know, MPs, MPs staff. But they're not serious people. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, as such, they shouldn't have any role in politics. And the concept of them having any role in politics, even like pretending to die outside the building, is threatening and is violent uh, and is sort of like going to destabilize uh, the serious politics being done by the serious politics doers. Contrast that with the US. I think what's happening in the US is an attempt to kind of like lock down future, well, present and future elite opinion, right? Is to say that like, you cannot express any hesitation 
about Israel's genocide and remain uh, sort of like remain president of Harvard because we were going to find some kind of like academic jaywalking plagiarism bullshit. And you you can't like do this and remain a student at Harvard or wherever uh, because we're going to have the truck that doxes you. Uh, and therefore, we're going to do our level best to like keep you out of the elite. I I don't know that that really reflects anything about like the different power structures in those societies, other than that in Britain it's more familiar to try and like uh, just kind of crack down on protest more generally. So the reason I draw the comparison is because is because I see them both as kind of sea change moments where this particular idea becomes totally embedded and inescapable. Mm. The similarity, I, I see a lot of similarities, but they're both in, in that they're both distractions from the actual thing that they're trying to attack, right? I mean, they talk about, obviously, the, the discussion is focused around Israel and the fact that disagreeing with Israel, criticizing Israel is, is like, is itself anti-Semitism. But uh, with Corbyn, it was about uh, you know the idea that uh, he he was a, he was a socialist and that he was offering a, a real um, ideological uh, shift change, and therefore him being a Jew hater overwhelmed all of that. Um, but here, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's about it's obviously it's about Israel, but when these anti-Semitism discussions come up, uh, they feel exceptionally disconnected from that. Uh, in of itself, it becomes a more vague sort of accusation, and what's happening in Gaza is de-emphasized uh, in favor of um, the concerns about a kind of general "quote unquote" campus safety, whatever that means. And it's the same mm. thing with with you know the safety within the Labour Party and the actual safety concerns that they express. If I can be frank, do not strike me as as terribly concerning. It's more just about having to witness other people have different opinions than you in public. Yeah, Meanwhile, sure. what is happening in Gaza? The entire educational system has been militarily destroyed. Uh, IDF soldiers brag about the fact that they just blew everything up, and uh, they kill professors and university presidents and students. There's no... I, I, I understand the ramifications of these kinds of discussions and how bad they are and that they should be cared about. But I'm, I'm, I'm angry that, like you said, uh, Alice, like a, a jaywalking violation mm. essentially. And yet we have to have these stories come back up and come back up about Claudine Gay that I keep having to see. And then I go into the comments on Reddit on these posts and there are people with thousands of posts talking about like, well, you know, there should not be someone who is plagiarizing, who is leading one of our nation's leading institutions. Yeah. Like what? Uh, these are these are conversations. They they extract them from the primary causes, which are major, and then they make them into just navel gazing uh, nonsense. It happens over and over. Because again. you're only able to navel gaze when you are in the throes of, I think, an imperial catastrophe. Not just, for, not, I mean, just a, a catastrophe for the empire, though it is, but a catastrophe that the empire is visiting on others. You have to start thinking about plagiarism, otherwise, you will have to think about what's actually happening. Mm. Because the, the New York Times will have to, it loves talking about the plagiarism thing because that is a drama. It's a drama it can understand. It's a drama that it can debate without crossing red lines about 
its own sort of editorial support for um, for American Empire. It's the same thing. Same thing in the UK. We can talk about. We can endlessly talk about whether or not street protesters are chanting slogans that are exactly in line with what is acceptable. Right. There's, that's that's how we're metabolizing it. Right. We're metabolizing it as basically are street protesters sufficiently polite and deferential. You know, the U.S. is metabolizing it even more ridiculously and abstractly in some kind of a homework debate. Right. There is. There is nothing more, I think, that that they can look at because to look beyond these questions of basically appropriateness will be to ha- to look into the real world, which they will never do. Mm. Yeah, they we the, the, these discussions about like um, protest tactics in particular. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but whenever somebody brings up the fact that uh, blocking roads. Um, distracts people from their cause, uh, makes people not support them, uh, bothering people, I, I guess, with chanting on the subway, uh, uh, makes people not support them. I have literally never heard of a case in which someone who otherwise would have supported Palestine was uh, distracted away from that cause because someone uh, made him late for work. Yeah, or bothered him on the subway by being too loud. Like that is not somebody who otherwise would have entertained your position. That is someone who already disagreed with you. Anyway, I, I think that's all we have time for for today. But Seamus, once again, I want to thank you so much for coming and talking to us mm. um, about this uh, this topic and also Neil, oh, which you. feels like a long time ago. Always an honor. And of course, if people want to hear more Seamus or read more Seamus in this case, where can they go? They, they can go to Seamus-Malagafsali.com. And if they want to see how to spell that, uh, they can, I guess, copy and paste it from this episode. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I also want to thank you uh, out there for listening to the first free episode of 2024, recorded in 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we will see you on the bonus in a few short days, where we will be talking about the fu- the strange death of the Hyperloop uh, with, well, there's your problem's very own Justin Rosny. Mm, it's a good podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We actually have two. We have uh, two hosts of Well, There's Your Problem guesting. Wow, you got um, Liam? Alice, unfortunately. Alice, unfortunately, won't be able to join us because she's busy guesting on a podcast. I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, so some Brit thing is so important. Anyway, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you again, Seamus, for coming on. And we'll see you in a few days. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.